Good morning. How are we doing? We're awake? Good, good. Um, We're continuing our series in prayer this morning, uh, and we're looking at the issue of why do we pray? We're on number three here, so you can see where we're fitting, and the question we're really asking is this, why do we pray? Now, I know we've done this already this morning, and if you don't want to do it, just say, I just want to reflect myself, that's fine, but I do want you to turn to your neighbour for 30 seconds and ask each other, why do you pray? If you don't want to do that, please feel totally free to say, I'm just going to reflect on it on my own, thank you. Okay, 30 seconds, go. Why do we pray? Another 10 seconds. Okay, if I can draw you back together. It's a complex question, isn't it? I don't know how many of you saw the Facebook videos from some of our esteemed brethren in this congregation. And actually, actually, seriously, uh, as I was thinking about this... uh, Message, I should be wearing L plates. Uh, I feel like I've just got so far to go in knowing how to pray and learning how to pray. Some of you are far more accomplished than me. I happen to have the privilege of being able to share from the scriptures, so thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. But hey, I've got L plates on here. Your contributions on that Facebook post may have seemed simple to you, but I think there are some quite profound statements made in those statements. So if you've not seen those videos, do have a look and see what people had to say. I'm not going to show them today. <laughs> and yours was brilliant. <laughs> I guess when it comes... Eh? What can I say? I guess when it comes to the subject of why do we pray, one simple answer is simply because we're told to. But if we press the question, it leads to all kinds of other questions. Does it work? Is it heard? What difference does it make? Does anything actually change? Is that actually its purpose? Prayer can be one of those questions that people who don't know God struggle with thinking, well, if prayer works, why does so much bad happen? Prayer doesn't, so they they might conclude, therefore there can't be a God. But actually, we also struggle with that same question in our own lives and in what we see in the world. I might go, I prayed, I fasted. Many were praying with me and things didn't work out as I think they should. It tests our faith, doesn't it? Our belief and can absolutely rock us. And I don't know where you're all at this morning, but for some of you this morning, why do I pray might be a very pertinent question. You might be facing things where you're not seeing the answers or haven't seen the answers that you've wanted and have been praying for, and you might be in that place of struggling with this whole thing. So I want to be aware of that this morning. I certainly myself have had questions around some of those issues, and you can easily fall back into, why why bother? Someone once said, God's God, I'll just let him get on with organising the world, and I'll go about doing my own thing. Yet somehow we end up finding ourselves praying, don't we? Today I can't answer all those questions. In fact, I can't answer all those questions full stop. 
But I do want to look at a passage in Matthew 26 and see what it has to say to us about prayer. And this passage is quite appropriate seeing as we're in the season of Lent. Because it's from when, the t- when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's read the passage together. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Matthew 26 is a chapter packed with content. It's two days before Passover. At the beginning of the chapter, we've got plots to arrest Jesus and to kill him going on. Uh, We've got the anointing of Jesus' body by uh, the, the lady with the alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Judas is starting to hatch his betrayal policy and how he's going to go about that. The Last Supper takes place in which Judas's betrayal is predicted, and then they head to the Mount of Olives, where Peter's, uh, Peter's denial is predicted. It's a pretty sorry state of affairs that Jesus finds himself in. And he goes specifically to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives to pray. I want to look at three things from this passage. The first is Jesus' example. The second is Jesus' relationship And the third is Jesus' battle. So let's have a look at the example of Jesus. He is in a very intense moment. He knows what's coming up, the challenge of it. He knows there's opposition. He knows that betrayal is afoot. He knows that death awaits and a painful death. What does he do? He prays. It's funny how Christian and non-Christian alike pray when difficulty arises. Those who never profess Christ cry out to God in times of need. It's almost a natural built-in response that takes place. There's a World War I saying, I believe, that goes, there are no atheists in the trenches. Jesus prays at this intense, dramatic, crucial moment. It's almost an assumption here that you pray. You don't have to know how it all works out. You just do it. You cry out to someone higher and bigger and more powerful than yourselves. 
Helen and I recently watched a 12-step program by Russell Brand. I wouldn't recommend it to all of you. We found it very insightful, but he's fairly raw. And he talked about at one stage, he said, I've been free from drugs and alcohol for 14 years. And then he said, no, I haven't. I've been free from drugs and alcohol one day at a time for 14 years. And in this, this uh, series that he was speaking of, he talked about how one of the steps, and some of you will know this, we're more familiar with 12 steps than, than I've been. One of the steps is to, if they're not Christian, call out to someone higher than themselves. If you're Christian, you recognise it's God. But the sense that you need help from without yourself, from beyond yourself, you need a higher power to help you change yourself, see the situation change, to help you be free, to help you in your time of need. Now, of course, we're Christians and we believe that's God. But there's something instinctive that says when I'm in that crucial time, that intense period, when things are not going as I want, there's an instinctive response that goes, help! And we direct our help to God. I think there's something of that going on here for Jesus as he recognises what's coming up in this journey that he's on, that he just has to pray. It's interesting, in Matthew 6, in response to the disciples' question about, tell us how to pray, teach us how to pray, Jesus says, when you pray, again, the assumption is there, you pray. Jesus prayed when he chose the 12 disciples. In fact, on that occasion, he spent the whole night in prayer. We leave that one for Sophie. (laughs) He prays again when he knows that he's going to be leaving his disciples. And in John 17, you can read his prayer as he prays for his disciples and prays for us, because he says, and for all those who will come to believe. He knows that he's going, and so what does he do? He prays for us. Paul does it all the time, doesn't he, in his letters. Romans 1, I remember you in my prayers at all times. Ephesians 1, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You can look in Philippians 1, Colossians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Timothy 1, Philemon 1. He prays all the time. He doesn't necessarily tell us how it all works out, but he simply prays. So I think our first thing is, we see the example of Jesus and we follow that example. The second thing is we see something of Jesus' relationship here. Here, as Jesus prays, he has to get before his Father. My Father is his cry. Abba. That cry of intimacy that here is not translated into the Greek, but is left in the Aramaic because somehow the word captures something of that intimate relationship that Jesus has with his Father. And we're supposed to see that. There's a closeness, an intimacy with God. He needs Abba, Father, at this moment. And so Matthew tells us three times he goes back and he prays the same thing. We get it quoted twice the third time he says, and he prayed the same thing. Three times back to Father, Abba. It's a cry to God into which we're drawn, isn't it? 
a cry that God wants us to exercise as we come to know him as Father, as Abba. There's a well-known theologian, I call him Moffat, (laughs) from the Scottish Isles. I have a conversation with my dad. Simple as that. That's what you said, Jim, wasn't it? In his life, Jesus sets the model. How often he withdraws to that quiet, private space, just him and God. And that's again what he says to his disciples in Matthew 6, isn't it? When they ask him, teach us, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to whom? To your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's about you and the Father, you and Abba, building relationship. The Lord's Prayer begins with, our Father. We join with Jesus in that intimate relationship with God. How powerful is that? And all relationships are built on time together. And we see Jesus drawing time and time again into this relationship. All relationships are built that way. So prayer is relationship. Prayer is friendship with God. Someone not as well known as Moffat, (laughs) Clement of Alexandria. He said, prayer is keeping company with God. It's friendship more than rigorous discipline, I would suggest. It's relationship and less performance. Our prayers are a response to the friendship and love of God. It's interesting, isn't it, in this Gethsemane moment that Jesus takes companions with him. That itself probably indicates the stress he was under. He wanted some companionship. He wanted some people with him to strengthen, to stay there, and to pray. But they don't do too well. Sometimes companions do do well. And there are times, aren't there, when we all need companions in prayer. Times when maybe we don't feel we've got the strength left ourselves to pray, and we just want to draw from the strength of the community itself to pray. Here, as I say, they didn't do very well. Paul, a number of times in his letters, asks for prayer for himself. But there are times when it's just me and God. Jesus took his companions, but they didn't on this occasion do well. There's an aloneness that Jesus has with his father in that moment. No one else there with him. Just him in that incredibly traumatic, intense moment. And it's him and God. And maybe that aloneness is exacerbated when perhaps it feels like God isn't answering. Maybe that's what Jesus is feeling at this moment in his humanity. Maybe when he makes that comment to the disciples that the flesh is, uh, the, the spirit is willing, willing, but the flesh is weak, is not only addressed to them perhaps, but perhaps that's exactly how he felt. And certainly his cry when he gets to the cross 
That sense of abandonment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, reflects something of that abandonment. But what does Jesus do in that moment of intense aloneness? He sows to the relationship even so. Even if he felt and we feel like we're getting nothing back, we remain faithful in coming to Abba, Father. Another well-known theologian, Piedi Palmer. I feel my spirit will die without prayer. told you they're deep. And for Jesus, this approach to Abba is sometimes about knowing his will. Look at the dialogue here. Is there another way? Can this cup be avoided? But not my will, but yours. So we have the example of Jesus. Firstly, we see the relationship of Jesus, secondly, and we see, thirdly, Jesus' battle. We've already said that, like us, in those intense moments, Jesus turns to prayer. Gethsemane is one. Another, of course, is the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Crying out in prayer to God. And here at Gethsemane, for Jesus, is where the battle is taking place. It's here that, if you read Luke's version, he says how Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood. It's here again that, according to Luke, an angel comes to strengthen him. Make no mistake, this is battle taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane. James Houston says, prayer is a battle of the will. If there is any other way... Can this cup be taken from me? Yet not my will, but yours. Some of you have prayed that in very difficult situations. You've battled, you've fought. That's what Jesus is doing here. And it's true so often in prayer, isn't it? Will I come to that place in the battle where I submit my will to the will of the Father. It plays into how we approach prayer and where our faith is. Is our faith in the results that we're looking for? Is that what matters? Or do we pray with our faith focused on God? Faith in him, in a person, and allow him to work out the outcomes. If we're outcome-driven, God can easily become my heavenly butler who sometimes serves up what I want and sometimes doesn't. If we're him-focused, then regardless of the outcome, and I'm not saying don't bring our requests to him, I'm not saying that, but if we're him-focused, then the relationship is strengthened regardless of the outcome. It's really interesting as you follow the story through that as, G, as the, uh, the armed, the armed uh, gathering come and arrest him following this prayer in Gethsemane, 
Jesus appears now in peace. Perhaps the next time we see him not in peace is only really when he's on the cross and he cries, makes that cry. But even there, he's got he's a peace enough to recognise this is it, it is finished. The story develops in chapter 26 with Judas and the armed crowd coming. Jesus is now ready. Who isn't ready? Peter. Peter draws sword and cuts off the high priest's ear because he isn't ready. But Jesus is. He's in a place of peace and he doesn't call on the myriad of angels that he said he could call on. How the story would have been different if he had. And yet he's got himself through the battle of the garden into the place of peace where now he can live out and walk out the Father's will and not draw his sword and not call the myriad of angels to rescue him. He's ready to walk the path of his Father's will because the battle has already taken place. He's taken before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and he remains largely silent as we know. Similarly, before Pilate, he's not defending himself. He's not trying to get out of the predicament he's in. He knows he's in the path of the Father, and he's a place of peace to do it. And when on the cross, even though he made his cry, he was still able to comfort one of those next to him and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. And also, if you read John's version, to introduce the beloved disciple John to his mother and his mother to John from the cross it's like for Jesus the battle is in the prayer place it's not confronting others it's not drawing sword it's not fighting it's not defending it's in the prayer room it's in prayer that we sweat drops of blood it's in prayer that we wage warfare it's in prayer that we gain our perspective and we gain our peace it's where we become ready for the events and the pathways of life Think of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, that great chapter, where he speaks about the army, the, 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 the um, armour, that's the word, <laughs> the armour of God. <laughs> and he says, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. So he's talking about warfare, he's talking about armour, and his response in chapter 6, Paul's response to that, is what? It's prayer. At least a large part of it is. Listen to these words at the end of chapter 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit. Context of warfare. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And in that place of battle, we are changed. Let me phrase that another way. In the prayer closet, we are changed. We may or may not get what we're praying for, but we are changed. Our perspectives are changed. We learn to yield 
we learn to submit our will. It changes us. A guy called Kierkegaard said, prayer does not change God, it changes him who prays. We come to God in prayer. Why pray? I haven't got all the answers. But Jesus did. It was a way for Jesus of building relationship, expressing his relationship with the Father. It's a relational activity. It's about relating (laughs) more than about outcomes. And in that place of relationship, we change and are changed. We come to pray because in prayer we battle. We often are battling with ourselves. Can I let my will go? Can I yield? And we battle until we finally get to that place of peace and rest. I don't know where you're all at today. I don't know what situations you've been in that maybe you're still living in the disappointment of prayer that hasn't gone uh, the way you want. I haven't got quick, easy answers for you on that. But we want to stand with you and pray. And I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but if that's you this morning and you just need someone to stand with you, either speak to someone who you've is next to you in the seat, or come and grab one of us at the end, and we'd love to stand with you. We don't want you to go away. You might be in that place of, God, why? You might be in the place where you're battling with God over something right now, and we want to stand with you in prayer. Why? Because Jesus did. Why? Because it will strengthen your relationship with God. Why? Because it will change you. So, Father, it's a mystery in many ways. But we thank you for intimacy in prayer. We thank you we can come to you as Father. Though, Lord, we don't always get what we want, we thank you you're a good dad. We thank you we can know you. And Father, somehow, we want to bend the knee again to you as God and Lord. As someone said earlier, you're the one still sat on the throne. We don't see all that you see. We don't know all that you know, but we know you're good.